DBM delivers experiences that go beyond the ordinary and suspend reality. From powerful loudspeakers to state-of-the-art projection systems, and from high-quality processors to exceptional acoustic treatment solutions and screens, DBM partners with pioneering brands, including Barco Residential, Complete Acoustic Treatment Systems, Display Technologies, Trinov, Waterfall Audio and Meridian Audio. We give you the very best high-performance products for your home cinema projects. Like you, we're committed to achieving excellence. Visit distributedbym.com to find out more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this live audience webinar of the Integrated Home Podcast. My name is Jeff Haywood, and today we're going to be talking about how you can create a fantastic 10-seated cinema in a super small space. What are the biggest challenges? How do you overcome them? And what does the result look, sound and feel like? I'm delighted that for this technical deep dive, we have joining us Cedia Member of Excellence, Jules Browning from Brownhill Solutions. Yep. And with him, we have the master or a master of Meridian Room Correction, Barry Sheldrick, Sales Director at Meridian Audio. Welcome to you both. Hi, guys. Hiya. AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. So, Jules, before we get into it, can you share with us a little bit about your background in Brownhill Solutions? Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess background in engineering. Uh, went to Bath University uh, many, many years ago. Seems a seems a long time now. Um, never left Bath, which is uh, where Brown Hen is based. Um, and um, after several years, or a couple of decades actually, uh, of time in industry, uh, mainly, mainly in the uh, mobile communication sector, uh, but also the service industry, um, I teamed up with um, an old university colleague, uh, Dave Henderson, to form Brown Hen, which was uh, some seven years ago now. Um, and uh, since then, uh, we've been um, basically doing uh, home technology um, as, as well as actually some some integration in the uh, commercial sector but uh, these days it's primarily in the residential sector. Excellent stuff and Barry what about you? Um, yeah I mean I've, I, this is my 20th year of uh, working in audio video so started in tech support back in 2000. Um, I guess was in, in sales before that with selling um, at local um, shop that did you know domestic appliances washing machines and so on but also tvs and and hi-fi systems so i kind of got into that side of it more than the uh, vacuum cleaners and so on and uh yeah went worked at tag McLaren for a few years uh on tech support and then um have been in sales uh, ever since then so i've worked predominantly uh with um in manufacturing um based companies so tag McLaren and um uh, quad Wolfdale Mission and Audio Lab and so on and then also with Meridian and uh, also in distribution so we did five years working with the guys over at um, Pulse and spent uh, a lot of time understanding more about the CI side of things and now um, head up the sales team at, um, at Meridian. Right Jules over to you talk us about this amazing project how did it all come about? Thanks Jeff. 
Um, so the, the, um, the client came to us um, with a, uh, a, the challenge of creating a, a cinema room in uh, what was a pretty small room. It was uh, a fairly typical room size that you'll find in sort of many houses uh, these days, um, 4.3 metres wide and 3.7 metres deep. Um, but the real challenge was being able to seat 10 people. So this was a key criteria um, for the customer. Um, and we needed to do that, obviously, without making it feel claustrophobic um, and making too many compromises around viewing angles and listening positions. But not only that, um, we had to consider how we were going to do the acoustic treatment in the room without um, reducing the size of the room any further. And also things like ventilation um, was also probably quite important as uh, 10 people in a small room uh, soon generates quite a lot of heat. What was the thinking behind getting 10 seats in a room that small? Um, so the, the customer quite regularly um, used to have um, sort of um, friends and, and family over for basically um, watching movies and stuff and where they used to live. And so it was quite important for them to be able to share that experience with, with those friends and family. Um, and so they, they didn't want to basically compromise having just a load of people sat on the floor and some people sitting in nice seats. So um, it was quite important that they had that many when they worked through the typical numbers that they had around that was a, that was around what it came out to um, the house was recently purchased by the client and it was previously used by um, the previous owner as a cinema room although uh, maybe not um, in the home cinema sense that um, probably most people on this call would think about but it did have a, a pull down screen I and mean, it had speakers stuck in the middle of the corners of the room I think you can see probably one of the, the makeshift speaker stands in the corner um, and I think it had a, a, a bunch of beanbags uh, on the floor. So um, the client wasn't really quite sure what to expect and what could be achieved. Um, but um, this basically gave them the idea of turning this, this room into, into a home cinema that um, would offer that experience for his um, friends and family. So first thing we did was really uh, understand the customer requirements a little bit further. So the best way to do that was to invite uh, him and his wife over to our, um, our demo suite down here in Bath, um, which actually is a, a similar sized room to the, the home cinema. So it was quite useful to give them a sense of um, what, what it might sound like um, in, um, when, it, when it comes to be built. Um, so as you can see, we've got um, lots of different types of speakers in wall, in ceiling, and it was a, uh, it was a really good way of being able to take him through those various um, different speakers and what you get at the different price points. And it was um, following that visit that he, uh, he settled on the, uh, the Meridian DSP 520 in-wall speakers. Um, and we were man managed to convince him that the, uh, the audio was probably one of the most important parts of the home cinema experience in terms of really making it feel immersive. And um, I think that, uh, that demonstration really helped achieve that. What do you think of the Brown Hen Suite? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's a, a really good example of what you can do with um, with space. You know, as as you've mentioned, it's pretty similar size dimensions to um, the client cinema room. So um, it's not a huge space, um, and that's quite common. You know, quite a lot of integrators that we visit won't have huge areas to build out cinemas, especially if they're in big cities and so on, where the the space is expensive. And I think we got asked the question a lot of times where people. Um, a dead set on building a cinema you know that if we build a cinema that will help us drive the business forwards but um, the, the question you often get is how do you how do you upsell how do you 
get people to understand that if they spend more on a product, they'll get more performance. And I think this space strikes a really good balance between um, being able to demonstrate quite simply the difference in performance that you get, you know, versus the other speakers, both in ceiling, but also um, as a pair of speakers at either side. And I think if you can do a good demonstration of dialogue and also listening to some music um, with some speakers either side of a television like here, it's quite easy for clients to get a feel for what their money buys them. Um, and it's quite easy for people, even though almost every every client will say, I'm, you know, perhaps I'm not an audiophile, I don't think I'll be able to tell the difference. I think actually most of them can very easily. Um, if you compare a 500 pound speaker to a thousand pound one or a 2000 pound one, for example, um, the differences are usually pretty clear and, and people can hook into that quite quickly. Yeah. The other advantage I think of having a simple layout like that, you're listening to a pair. You're not listening to five or seven or 12 speakers, um, which have a combined effect. Um, and if you know that a pair of speakers can produce something that's really um, interesting and insightful to listen to and draws you in, then you know that the theatre experience is going to um, really blow your socks off when you get to that point. So I think this is a really intelligent way of making use of compact space. It doubles up quite clearly as a meeting space as well. Um, you can show visuals on the screen. So I think this is something I would recommend um, that integrators look at. Um, rather than necessarily plunge straight into, you know, putting in 20 or 30,000 pounds into a demonstration cinema. Um, I think there are lots of demonstration cinemas provided by manufacturers, distributors, um, which will typically be larger space rooms, perhaps more in keeping with a larger cinema design. So um, I would say utilizing those demonstration spaces like the ones we have at the factory, for example, and having something more like this is a, is a really um, intelligent way to make an investment in the business without tying yourself to something that's going to, you know, age or otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And we, we've we've had that experience of of being able to upsell and people being able to hear the difference between the different speaker levels and saying, okay, I, I can hear the difference in that. And and yes, the value is worth it for me to to move up to that next level of speaker. Um, to, to give speakers as an example. Um, the other thing that this this room was really useful um, in in demonstrating is some of the other aspects that go into um, a home cinema, but also other aspects of one's home. So you can see there's various lighting options in the ceiling, um, which we're, we're able to demonstrate, um, and some of those were, were ended up in the cinema that we built. Um, even things like Wi-Fi points. So being able to introduce the concept of having separate Wi-Fi points is is quite alien to some some mm. customers. Um, We've then also got things like um, the blind um, and uh, we were able to demonstrate this. And again, um, this was something that was used in, in the cinema room um, as well as the control system that kind of underpins all of this being uh, control four. And then lastly, just moving towards the back of the room, um, some acoustic treatment, which um, we intentionally left uncovered. Um, obviously normally you would cover that with some sort of fabric stretch system. Um, and that, that one at the back is the, um, the cats acoustic treatment which um, again you'll see that we did end up using in in part of the uh, the cinema room so the uh, so, so once the kind of um, some of the basics had been been chosen and um, the uh, the Meridian speaker sort of was was the basis of the audio system we then moved on to the tricky topic of um, seating which we went through many iterations with um, we sat down with the, uh, the, the customer and they came up with various suggestions. We came up with other suggestions. 
and um, we went through how we could potentially use those in, in different iterations within the room space. Beanbags at one point were, were considered. Um, I'm, I'm quite pleased that that was uh, discounted at a fairly early stage. I don't think it would have had quite the same effect um, in, the, um, in, in the home cinema. Um, but then we also tried combining some, some more um, standard um, automated um, cinema seats, albeit ones which have got a relatively small footprint, with some flip style seats at the back, um, which was about all we had room for. So that gave us the numbers. Um, but after discussing that with the, the customer, he, he really wasn't keen on having a kind of first class and second class type experience within the room. So he wanted all of the seats to be um, all the same and um, where possible the experience to be as, as even across all of those seats as possible. So we, we came across a manufacturer um, of seats called Furco um, and they had a, uh, a manually reclining seat called the Opus Glide which just fitted the bill perfectly. Um, so we, um, we, we worked through that and, and that basically nicely fitted the 10 seats with four in the front and, and six at the back. We obviously needed to do some final checks to make sure that um, it was all going to work in terms of viewing positions, um, what the, uh, the, the platform heights needed to be to make sure they had, and we had enough um, headroom between the projector and the, uh, the platform, um, sort of uh, make sure that people weren't hitting their heads. Um, the size of the screen, um, uh, uh, 178 um, was, was much better suited than a larger uh, 235 screen. And um, we, at this stage, we were starting to come down on a, on a Sony projector, um, which was generally quieter than some of the large projectors and was really well suited with, with the offset and the, um, the throw ratios that it had to offer. And um, so we, we ended up with a, um, I think it was a Sony uh, 270ES, which is their kind of 4K projector. But it was all very well doing it. Um, in, um, in, in CAD and making sure that it kind of felt right. Um, what was really useful was that our, uh, our friends at Furco were uh, happily busy building the, uh, the seats so that they could check it, check it out in person. So I've uh, got this rather amusing photo of them sat in their warehouse um, with, with a mock-up of our platform and, and the seats. And uh, they were, it, was, it was great to hear that actually they felt that the, the, the leg room and everything like that was um, was all adequate so it was, it was really good to have oh. um, people like Furco involved and, um, and and being so helpful to, to sort of validate our our designs. Is that something that's uh, quite common for suppliers to do? Um, I, I, certainly there are there are suppliers which go the extra mile I, I'm not sure I've ever seen um, sort of a mock-up like that I don't know whether uh, some of the other integrators have experienced that in theirs but um, it was certainly very useful and it was it was nice to be able to give that confidence back to the customer that they were making the right decision and they could see um, that you know the level of detail that we gone into was going to mm. give the uh, the result that he was looking for. Yeah I think it's really important you know if you're if you're doing something that isn't done very often as a um, as a supplier and you're invited to help um, support the project um, you do just need to test stuff sometimes and sometimes it is pallets and chairs and sometimes it's different um, speaker layouts or configurations um, I think it's really important that you know suppliers step up and help out with these types of things um, it goes a really long way and, and um, what you're giving is confidence to the integrator who then has confidence when he speaks to the client and I think um, 
you know people always say how do i get people how do i upsell how do i sell more expensive things and it always comes down to confidence um and if you have confidence um through the chain so jules has confidence that the, the guys supplying the seats are going to be able to um work in the way that they need to then that makes the whole thing um you know it's a much smoother process the client feels comfortable with the uh, investment as well can i just check one thing jules for the seating could the front row and the back row both recline and there were no leg or headroom challenges there yeah no absolutely um so dan that was one of the key things about actually we you know we we thought it was based on the drawings um but um they were able to confirm that that when they they reclined back and um, there was enough um, clearance space behind the back wall and the seat for it to be able to fully recline um, yeah, so that was, it was all fairly tight, as you might imagine, um, but um, it, it, yeah, it did all work. Did you have a budget at the start from the client, or did that budget kind of evolve during the project? Um, it very much evolved. Um, I, I, I guess from the basis that the client wasn't exactly sure what was possible, um, and all the different elements that go to make up a, a cinema room, um, so, I mean, one of the very first things we did in conjunction with the, um, the visit to our demo suite um, was we built a proposal and gave kind of three different levels say, and, and broke it down into the, the rough areas. So one was seating, one was about the projection and imaging, one was about the audio, um, one was about acoustic treatment, one was about the control system. Um, and basically for each of those sections, giving a, um, a different level of quality so that depending on whether they went for the lower the middle or the upper option they could get a rough idea of what the budget cost um, and they ended up picking different parts from different parts of those um, those offerings um, and it did very much evolve um, because of that which um, was I, 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 I think we find that in quite a lot of the projects we do it's very unusual for somebody to have a very fixed idea on what things are going to cost um, there's, there's normally an upper limit terms of they're not going to go above that um, but uh, in terms of that flexibility and evolving and, and the trade-offs between the different elements of of an installation um, we, we do find that often changes and in terms of that platform do you want to just talk about what the structure of that platform is to hold that many people in a comfortable place on, on those seats it was essentially made out of um, it was 36 mil uh, thickness in total and that the uh, the structure of that was actually um, I think we got the spec from Furco, um, who confirmed what they needed, um, which again was very useful because different seats have different um, loading. Um, but it essentially, it was two layers of 18 mil. So the top layer was ply, and then the um, I think the, the layer below was, but I think um, um, put in a in a cross a crossway so that the laminates basically uh, crossed each other to mm. give it a bit of extra strength. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people to sit on there and the seats. There's probably uh, a few hundred kilos, um, yes. probably five, well, probably six, seven hundred kilos, I guess, with the seats and people in. So, yeah, it's um, that'll be substantial for sure. Yeah. 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 And the design included um, sort of uh, um, filling that, that structure with, um, with Rockwall to, uh, to provide a sort of added mass to that platform. So the next next challenge, which um, I mentioned earlier, was around ventilation due to the, uh, the number of people in, in such a small room. Um, so we kind of looked into how many or how much what size of fan we'd need to basically suit that size of room with um, that number of people um, and we we looked at some various charts and it, it came across that we needed probably around 10 air changes per hour so um, the air in the room to be changed every hour 
Um, I think commercial cinema is something like between 10 and 15. A living room is around six. So we thought, given that this is a residential cinema, then 10 was about the right figure. Um, system resistance is basically the resistance of the ducting and then the volume of the room. And then you plug that all into an equation and it comes out with a, um, a, a capacity or performance that's needed from the, uh, the ventilation fan. And we've worked with Solo and Palo before um, uh, with their range of fans, which um, offer a very quiet um, performance in terms of the motor. And um, although, the, um, although the rack is uh, located next door, um, which was where the, the, the ventilation fan was going to be, it was still quite important that that fan was quiet. Um, so we were able to make sure that we were sizing the fan appropriately. The rack cupboard was in the adjacent room next door. Um, and we basically mounted the, um, the ventilation fan within that rack cupboard, and it both provided extract for the cinema room, but also provided some ventilation in the, the, um, in the rack cupboard as well. Um, it's obviously quite important to consider a, an intake, because no point extracting air if actually you've got no air coming into the room. So there is a, uh, um, an intake which is hidden by the, um, the seating. One of the other things that was, was quite important on this um, was, was how we control um, that ventilation. And essentially there are two modes. Um, so normally it would just act in automatic mode and we were able to use the, uh, the capability of the control four um, to be able to uh, con control both the, um, um, the speed and when it gets operated. So in, in normal use, um, the, uh, the, the, the fan would basically be in a trickle uh, mode so that it was always extracting at, at a, a relatively low level, which would um, keep the rack cool and just keep the air moving in the cinema room. When the projector comes on, then it would get boosted up to a level which was um, quite a bit higher, but at a, uh, a, a noise level, which um, wasn't audible um, um, beneath, the, beneath the projector. So it didn't actually have any impact to the, the cinema itself. And when I talk about noise here, that wasn't the actual, you can actually hear the noise of the, the motor, that was more the, the noise of the airflow um, within the system. But there's always a need to, um, to be able to override. There's a, uh, a keypad which enables you to, to boost, um, the, uh, um, boost the ventilation speed, either upwards or downwards. So um, the indicator on the, on the keypad would basically indicate it would go blue if it was a higher level of ventilation to make the room cooler, or it would go red if it was lower than um, was recommended. Um, and so that just basically gave a, a relatively simple um, interface for the, for the customer to use. And this is a Control 4 keypad, is it? Yes, yeah, that's just one of their, their square. Um, it's actually a, a dual keypad dimmer because um, we're using the dimmer to um, control a couple of lighting circuits, which we'll come on to in a bit. It's interesting to see. I mean, you either see air conditioning because it's part of the house and that's, you know, it's another room that you have air conditioning in or pretty much nothing at all. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything um, other than that in, in a lot of in designs. It's nice to see, um, you know, taking into account how much heat um, 10 people will generate and also how much CO2 that they'll generate when they're breathing. So I think it's really important to be able to, um, you know, keep the room feeling fresh and being able to use the exhaust of the room to 
cool the rack uh, equipment down as well. I think it's a, you know it's a really cool double use, and I, I, I like those those clever bits of design where you're you know you, using um, one thing to benefit another. I think that's a, that's a really nice bit of engineering. So then um, lighting, um, which is obviously an important part of any um, home cinema um, in terms of giving the, the required um, kind of experience. And this varied and evolved probably um, as much as the seating did in terms of the number of circuits. We started off recommending, I think, three or four circuits, and then that went down to um, just a couple. And then it went back up to four by the end of it once um, um, the client started to see what the benefits were. Uh, to give the um, sort of the, the, the general lighting um, around the bottom of the coffer, um, we basically use spotlights, um, six in all, um, from Oluna. And again, Oluna is a brand that we've used um, a lot um, and are particularly well suited to um, home cinemas where the dimming range, um, even mains dimming, can go down to a, a really low level. Um, it gives a really nice light and they, uh, they aesthetically look really nice. We also use their warm to dim uh, light engine, which means as you dim it down, it becomes a nice um, warm kind of glow, which again works really nicely in a, uh, in a cinema room. And as I mentioned before, that was one of the circuits that was controlled by the, uh, one of the circuits in the keypad dimmer. We also had lighting around the coving of the, of the coffer um, with basically a hidden LED strip going all the way around. And um, Atelier Sadap do um, a whole range of different plaster profiles which allow you to hide LEDs in them depending on what you want to achieve and what type of look and feel you want from the room. We then added step lights, um, which are some, um, some mini LED decorative lights um, from Collingwood, um, which also provide um, some excellent lights um, with, with really nice dimming, um, dimming capability, again controlled by the Control 4. Um, just provide a nice little uh, sort of indicator um, when you're watching a film so that people don't trip up and down the stairs um, but um, not bright enough that um, it kind of impinges on, on the enjoyment. And then finally to add a little bit of fun into the room um, we added some um, um, RGB um, strips behind both the, um, the rows of seats which enabled the room to be changed in colour. And what was quite nice was one of the targets that we had for the customer um, was for this um, cinema to be finished by the, um, the Rugby World Cup last year. And uh, what, what the customer basically was using it for um, in terms of the colours, depending on who was playing, which home nation was playing, he'd colour the room uh, appropriately. So when Ireland were playing, he'd, he'd have it green and um, Wales was red and so on and so forth. So just added a bit of fun to um, um, for, for his um, friends and family that came round to watch those games. Yeah, I think that's cool being able to, you know, dress the room with light. Um, also, I think, you know, rugby is a good point. Um, we talked before about the 1.78 ratio screen. You know, if you know that the client's into sports or if they're into um, gaming as well, then 1.78 ratio is another obvious choice, especially when the dimensions of the room are quite small because uh, you end up with a larger surface area of screen. So physically larger screen for a given width. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine that screen was perfect for, um, uh, for watching the rugby on as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I was quite jealous. <laughs> so acoustic treatment, um, really important part. Um, and as I mentioned, it was, it was important that we didn't take up too much of the space um, with um, additional acoustic treatment because some acoustic treatments can, can take up quite a lot of the wall. Um, so 
we, we took a um, sort of input from both Meridian to give us some ideas of, of what sort of treatment we, we'd need um, and also from Artnovian. Um, but the design service that um, we got from Meridian was really helpful in, in helping us shape our thoughts around this approach. Yeah, I mean, we, we work to try and make it easy to, for people to first understand if they haven't used acoustic treatment before, you know, what is it, how does it work, why should I use it in the first place? And also then give confidence again so that integrators can talk confidently to their clients um, about something that they may not have sold before as well. So what we find works well um, with our design and specification services is it's complementary in the first place. So there's not a, a charge to um, ask our guys to pull something together. And we take the dispersion characteristics of the loudspeakers and we plot those first and secondary reflection points within the room, showing it that acoustics is, is in three dimensions. It's not just in uh, one plane. So yes, you do have reflections on the, on the ceiling, on the floor, on the back wall, on the side walls. Um, I think the other thing that's, that's key is, you know, yes, we have supported with aspects of the design using the design service, but um, we weren't restrictive in the fact that we said, you have to use my materials uh, to treat the room with um, because every room's different and you know materials we use um, would have added about 50 millimeters um, to the side walls which on a room that's seven by six meters you're probably all right with that uh, in a in a room that's um, more compact um, that 100 millimeters on either side is more than you really want to be um, giving away so uh, you have to be realistic and pragmatic about where you can put treatment and I think the back wall emphasizes that too you know you have one a bunch of people sat on the back wall so the surface of the wall is reduced quite significantly by the seats and by the people that are in the room too um and you know the areas that have been treated um the first reflection points in the ceiling are going to have um, a bigger impact um for, for most most listing um than the rear so typically we do sides um and uh, the the top of the room in in rooms of this size um but what you find is when you put the acoustic treatment in it actually makes the room sound bigger, or at least it should do. Um, if you if you just put absorption everywhere, then it won't, um, and that will really make the system sound small and sort of closed in. The idea is you're trying to make these spaces sound large um, and let and um, not not crick, uh, suppress too much of the energy. It's a it's always a balance. Um, and that was the design of the the cat's panels. That was all covered over with some stretch fabric. And so that kind of all disappeared off and um, just kind of just made a nice, simple ceiling. Um, and then that was complemented with um, some um, acoustic treatment from Art Novian, which um, was able to not only provide the acoustic um, functionality that we wanted, but also was able to add the look and feel um, for the aesthetics for the room. And it really helped to shape how that room feel and felt so it was very much um, dual purpose and I, I think worked really well um, both in terms of the acoustic treatment but also the look um, and as we went through this this stage of of, of adding this in we, we did take some um, some fairly basic measurements just to see how the rt60 measurement which is the rever reverberation time um, basically came down and we were aiming for something around 0.3 and as we um, added the ceiling caps, uh, ceiling cats treatment, it, it dropped um, by, by a fair chunk. And then adding the carpets and seats came down um, uh, again quite considerably. The Artnovian, um, which was the last stage um, that, that we did, was um, only adds a little bit, um, which um, was a good thing because we didn't really want to go, say, much, much below 0.3. But what it did provide 
um, which the standard deviation plot shows, is um, a, a much greater level of consistency across the whole of the room. So um, it meant that the acoustic um, performance um, in a larger part of the room was, was consistent throughout. So it, it really did help. And it is, is interesting, the, um, the experience that the customer had of what the room felt like was, was um, I, I think he was quite surprised. I mean, we, we, we tried to explain what it would be like, but until you've actually experienced uh, um, a treated room, um, it's very difficult to, to really know what that feels like. And uh, I, th I think um, that the cat must also have, have a, a sense of this as well, because it's become the cat's favorite room. Um, <laughs> it, one of the seats is now its own seat. Um, and I, I guess it must be a, a nice tranquil room. Um, but it, it never used to be um, a particular favourite for the cat, but it is. Yeah. So. It's a ground floor room, right? So any any issues with noise going out of the room to bedrooms or to other parts of the, the house? So we did discuss that, um, but they were happy that that wasn't a major consideration. As, as you saw from the front room, uh, sort of the front wall, we did um, pack that out with, um, with slab insulation. Which, which gave a bit of an, an element of um, protection for the other one. But that was as much about making the front wall a, uh, um, a solid acoustic mass for, to, to improve the acoustics within the room as, as much as anything. So, yeah, we, we were lucky that we didn't have to consider the um, sort of sound going out in other parts of the house. Um, but, yeah, it was certainly discussed. It might have been a bit more tricky um, not to lose the, um, the size of the room if we'd had to add in some... Um, um, some insulation to achieve that. We went on to uh, do kind of the calibration, both audio and, and video. Um, and this is where using, from an audio perspective, we were able to uh, implement some of the Meridian um, room correction. Um, so room correction is, is not about turning a, a, a really awful sounding room into something that's great. It's about taking a room that's already fairly decent because you've, you've done proper acoustic treatment and then really optimizing what you've got there and, and, um, and, and making a, a good room sound great. And it was, uh, it was quite noticeable that um, after the, uh, the time we'd spent doing the optimizations, we, we invited the customers back in again to listen to some of their and watch some of the film that they'd recently watched. And they turned around to us and um, said, what, what have you done to our cinema room? And sort of Dave and I looked at each other slightly worried thinking, no, what, what have we done? We, we think it sounds really, really good. And uh, unfortunately, it was, it, was, it was a good thing. He said it just sounds a completely different system. Um, just the, the subtleties uh, are so much greater. Um, the, the level of immerse, immersion that they're getting from the, uh, the experience um, from the audio um, was just a, a massive um, sort of uh, improvement. So um, it really did show that, that um, these... Um, that the Meridian Room Correction was, was doing its business and, um, and the, the, the calibration that had been done on the, on the video had, had also uh, helped. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. Well, first, most room correction systems you see in 2D, not in 3D, uh, which is a big uh, differentiation. Typically, um, and not just in small rooms, but in most rooms, creating base traps or otherwise, you need to use very large pieces of material in most cases, which takes up um, significant amount of space there are solutions but uh, by and large that's what most acoustic manufacturers will recommend um, so what usually works much better is to use the equalization built into most of the processes um, with meridian room correction as I say it works in in um, 
in frequency domain, um, which is the high points are where the, the that frequency is much louder, um, and then low points are where that frequency is much lower. Um, but also it works in the time domain, so you can see it goes from zero to 1500 milliseconds. Um, and the time domain is as important as the um, frequency domain. So um, what you aim to do is try and normalize the, the peaky bits and make them nice and, and smooth. Um, and obviously the dips, the nulls, you can't do anything about. That's a, a negative. So adding um, energy to that won't create any more volume. So effectively what we're doing is reducing the output of the processor at certain frequency points to give us this nice smooth response. Um, and that's what most processors will do. And obviously that's what Meridian Room Correction does. The second part is that we can set the decay time. So that's the point from an impulse to when the sound dies away. And so the calibrator can choose what the de delay times are um, and changing the delay time can change the, the feeling of the size of the room. So once you're dialed in um, with your frequency and with your timing um, domain delays, which is actually pretty simple to do, um, the effect is, is huge. Everything is just completely locked in and sounds really natural. The room disappears. If you're, um, you know, if you're in the desert and it's really big and open, it feels really big and open, lots of space above you and around you. Whereas if you're in, you know, confined inside a space shuttle or something, it feels small as well. And that's what you're trying to create. Um, when people talk about immersion, they kind of go, it's really immersive. Um, but then they don't say, what, what does that mean? And, it, and for me, it's creating an exact feeling of being in any of those positions or places that the, the movie director is trying to portray in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I guess there's a couple of other features as well that um, we used as part of that, um, that optimization. Um, so we use the center elevation function that um, is available in the DSP speakers. That center speaker was below the screen. Um, we, weren't able, we, we did look at having a, um, an acoustically transparent screen um, but due to the distance between the front row and the screen, um, we, we basically the the the, uh, the perforations would have been visible uh, on on a 4K uh, image. So um, we basically settled for having a, the center center um, speaker below, and in order to bring it up and make it sound as though the um, the, um, the center um, speaker was was coming from the the actual um, screen itself then uh, there's this function called center elevation, which basically does it within um, using DSP. And the other thing was um, EBA, which is the enhanced base alignment, which um, allows the, the base to be brought more aligned with the rest of the, um, the, the, the frequencies of, of, a, of a piece of music or a, an, uh, a music track. Yeah, that, that center elevation is um, you know, such a cool feature. Um, for, for cinemas like this, you know, if like say, if you are using a micro perforated screen at that distance, you are going to run into um, being able to see that. You may also run into moiré effect with a projection system. And then if you go to an AT screener that's woven, then obviously the cost goes up. So you always have to play off, um, you know, performance versus uh, budget. So, um, you know, if you have a choice of a micro perf or a solid screen and you have center elevation, then it's really quite simple to go for a solid screen. Um, you won't get any of that moiré effect, which is where you can get banding on the picture, especially when the throw is short and the screen is um, compact and the resolution is high, you know, a 4K projector. So sensible to um, to locate the center channel below. And yeah, what we do is, you know, you have your left and right and then your center is below. So um, we make it sound as though the center channel is up, um, matched in line with the left and right um, by basically creating an EQ profile 
that makes the speaker sound like it's there. So it's a perception-based um, EQ profile that we use. And what happens is then any of the panning, which goes from left to right across the screen, is um, perfectly matched. Vocals sound like they're coming from the screen. Um, we developed it for flat screen televisions because that's quite popular to have three speakers in that array, uh, but totally um, usable in theatre applications as well, especially if you've got either, you know, situations like this with short throw or also ultra short throw projection systems where you've got the projector right in front of the screen, um, you know, and you, if you don't have the ability to locate the, the, the centre channel, that's a useful um, feature to have so it's it's really simple right? you just turn it on uh, that's it it's not anything more complicated you just say yes please on um it's it's very easy so that that kind of um all, all of that design process is is all well and good but ultimately what we're all trying to do i guess in um, in, in this industry is to um, make the customer happy and and um and, and get that feedback and it was really nice to receive um a really nice um, testimonial from from the customer as we're reading that, Jules, um, could you could you give us uh, an idea of the total budget spent and also what percentage of that budget went on the acoustic treatment for the job? So the first one I can certainly answer um, off the top of my head. So it was it was a shade under sixty k for um, everything. So that was um, including third party costs around the construction where we where we involved the carpenter and the electrician doing some of the the lighting and. Uh, sort of second fix side of things? Uh, well, so typically from an acoustic point of view, um, I would say that if you're treating the first reflection points in a, in a system, so you're putting acoustic treatment on either side of the wall, then typically the retail budget for that would be around £1,500 um, or so. And if your room is larger, then you'll double that up. So typically when we're pulling together um, quotations for dealers when they're working on a project with us, uh, we'll look at the room space and we'll say, um, maybe in the in a smaller system where the you know the screen's smaller the performance expectation is lower so more of a uh, what would we put in a room if the budget was smaller we'd probably allocate around 1500 pounds to um, acoustic budget as we move up through the scale it would probably go to two and a half and then five thousand pounds and and that kind of budget would get you a really good level of room treatment in a room that's probably five six meters square if you go larger then you'd probably end up adding um, you know, 1,500 quid, two and a half grand as you, as you go through. Um, that's with the acoustic treatment um, that we sell through D DBM, which is um, the CATS uh, product, which you saw on the ceiling. So typically, you know, that's that sort of price point would be um, what we would look at. I think the important thing is that it's the overall effect that it creates. So it's quite often where we specify things. And um, I think, you know, as mentioned earlier about the window, well, you can't put acoustic treatment over the window if the client wants to keep that. Um, that doesn't ruin the whole room then because you haven't treated one area that's, <laughs> you know, the size of a window. Um, the net effect of the room, of the room acoustic treatment will, will benefit the performance. Um, you know, even when we were rebuilding the DBM room at the office, um, there were places where we couldn't put the treatment where we wanted to. So we cut it in half or we used a bit of it or use some of it. Um, I certainly won't be losing sleep about it when we do demos because, you know, the reality is you're talking about a five or six hundred millimeter square area that you couldn't treat the way you wanted to. It really isn't going to um, um, make an effect. And again, you know, it's backed up by um, the measurements that Jules shared earlier with that with that RT dropping down. And Jules, on that drawing at the start, you showed the the rack is kind of at the back of the room to the left. Is that accessed from within the room or do you have to access it from outside the room? 
So it's it's physically in the adjacent room, which happens to be a, a games room. Um, so we basically um, built built a cupboard around around it within the in the other room, and actually it just looks um, it just looks like the the wall just extends around it. Um, so you you basically go into the adjacent room, and then there's a, a cupboard that you then go in, and it's got a pull out uh, um, mid Atlantic wreck. And in terms of the speaker layout, Jules, uh, how many speakers? How many subs? Um, so it's it's five dot one um, with the, um, the the base channel having um, two corner loaded um, speakers. So, but probably more relevantly, um, in the in the coffer we allowed space for um, DSP three twenties to to substitute the um, um, the passive speakers that we used in the um, with the two surround channels. Yeah, and I think that's that's really you know it's really cool given that system some ability to be upgraded in the future. Clearly, the client's going to be loving it. That's that projector's going to have a lot of hours on the lamp, I think, uh, which is always good to see. Um, but yeah, you know, you can upgrade with a bigger back box, or there's a higher fidelity um, speaker that we'll have out later in the year, which will fit straight into those um, 520 back boxes as well. So you could easily just you know unbolt and bolt the new speakers into the same frame so it'd be quite simple to um to upgrade or, or add more channels or um or otherwise so yeah it's it's really well engineered how uh, how long did the project take from start to finish Jules? um probably from the customer first sort of discussing this with us probably about six months um but quite a lot of that was kind of the iteration at the beginning around how, how are we going to squeeze 10 seats in and uh, without too many compromises. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, probably about six months. I mean, it, it's part of a larger project. We're doing other work on, 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 the, um, on, on the client's um, um, property and uh, including extending things like lighting through uh, some other parts of their house. Um, so it's, it's kind of been, it was dovetailed in, but it was, it was the, um, it was the first piece of work that um, we completed for him um, in his house and it actually provided a nice sanctuary for him to kind of disappear into when uh, maybe some of the other building work wasn't going quite as, um, um, as, as, as one would like, as, as is always the way with, with building projects. Thank you so much for your time, both Jules and Barry. Brilliant project and fantastic insights for our audience. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. Ring are on a mission to make the home install market that bit better for installers and their customers. Introducing Ring X-Line. With six exclusive bundles available via AWE only to X-Line accredited dealers, X-Line combines world-leading security products with a lifetime Ring Protect subscription and an extended four-year limited warranty, all for a one-off cost. To find out more, visit connect.awe-europe.com forward slash X-Line. Let the pros lend a hand. We hope you've all enjoyed the show. Remember, the Integrated Home Podcast is available free on podcast platforms everywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at InfoHomePod, on Facebook and Instagram at Integrated HomePod, and on LinkedIn at the Integrated Home Podcast. This webinar is a Wildwood production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. 
Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.